Josh Galine here with another Afropop Closer. Post-genocide Rwanda is often touted in the West as a success story of peace and reconciliation, and yet the reality is much more complicated. Today we hear the story of a popular singer, Kizito Mihigo, who is imprisoned for treason. This episode, Kizito Mihigo and the politics of music in post-genocide Rwanda, hosted by producer Charulata Sinha. <laughs> Kazito Mihigo, Rwanda's most beloved singer of the past two decades, had a special talent for live performance. At all of his concerts, people in the audience couldn't help but clap and sing along. He was particularly adept at reading a crowd, taking them from a joyful call and response to a mournful ballad. He was a performer who was passionately dedicated to his audience above all else, which is important to keep in mind. Uh, Kizito has been a hero. He's kind of poet in our mother tongue, very uh, touching, touching words. He used touching words, especially when he's singing about reconciliation. Reconciliation, yeah, that's what touched me the most. That's Christine Mukama. She was a close family friend of Kizito Mihigo, though they lost touch after the war. He was, he also is a survivor of the genocide. And that's Rene Mugenzi, a human rights activist. So he was kind of someone who's teaching um, peace and harmony. It has been over 20 years since a horrific genocide devastated Rwanda, leaving 800,000 dead in its wake. And the small East African nation has recovered really well by most standards. Under the leadership of President Paul Kagame, the country has seen vast economic growth and infrastructural improvements. But the man responsible for much of Rwanda's healing was not a statesman or a politician, but a singer. And also he had some um, reconciliation program where he was speaking, he had uh, he was holding meetings and uh, workshops on TV or prison where he was speaking to the people who committed genocide and the people who experienced genocide, teaching them to forget to forgive and live in peace in harmony. Kazito Mihigo was a Tutsi survivor of the genocide, orphaned at 13 by Hutu fighters. He displayed a remarkable talent for music at a young age, composing Christian gospel songs on the organ for the Catholic Church of Rwanda. He was granted a scholarship to study at the Conservatory of Paris and began his music career in 2001. Since then, he has composed 400 songs, which showcase his distinctive, soulful voice and incredible lyrical ability. He was by far the most popular singer in Rwanda, and his fingerprints can be found on each major cultural milestone in the past 20 years. The Rwandan national anthem, Mihigo was a co-writer. The 10th genocide commemoration, Mihigo performed and the 11th, and the 12th, and the 13th, and the 14th. But what was most remarkable about Mihigo was his activism for peace, deeply rooted in his religious beliefs. Before studying music in Paris, Mihigo enrolled in seminary, where he found the religious conviction to forgive the people who killed his parents. In many ways, this commitment to peace has fueled his activism and music, 
In 2010, he created the Kazito Mihigo Peace Foundation. He traveled the country, performing everywhere from schools to jails, facilitating discussions of peace and tolerance. In his teaching of forgiveness and love, he quotes some Bibles, quotes and what Jesus said this, Jesus said that. And also he has many songs that are very religious. The choirs across the country have been singing those songs in churches, but not now, not anymore now. Why did choirs stop singing Mihigo's songs? The trouble began on April 7th, 2014. The 20th commemoration of the genocide. World leaders and dignitaries were gathered in Rwanda's capital, Kigali. Mihigo was scheduled to perform. But he didn't perform. In fact, he wasn't seen or heard from for more than a week. His friends and family grew increasingly worried, along with his huge fan base. Then, on April 15th, 2014, the Rwanda National Police held a press conference. In the video, Kazito was handcuffed and dazed. The chief of police announced that he was arrested on suspicion of collaborating with foreign terrorist groups to oust the current ruling party of Rwanda, the Rwanda Patriotic Front. To the shock of the journalists present, he confessed to this in the press conference. Yeah, he was kidnapped by security service, and they denied of having her for a few days. They just arrested her, but they had her for a few days, about four days. And then, uh, because of the pressure, they brought him and to the media. His official charge, conspiracy, to assassinate the president of Rwanda, Paul Kagame. Rwanda's greatest activist for peace, arrested on suspicion of terrorism, didn't make sense to me, and it didn't make sense to Rwandans either. They didn't believe that. But some young people were confused because they get one message if they you know, mixed messages from the, the government. So there's a kind of confusion. Mm. One minute, the Rwandan government invited Kazito to sing at the commemoration of the genocide. And the next, he was in handcuffs, confessing to conspiracy charges. When I first heard about this story, I read up as much as I could about Kazito and his arrest. But I don't know nearly enough about Rwanda to explain how this happened. So I spoke to someone who does. My name is Susan Thompson, and I'm a professor of peace and conflict studies at Colgate University. Professor Thompson says that in order to understand what happened with Gazito, we must take a closer look at Rwanda's ruling party, the Rwanda Patriotic Front, Rwanda's president, Paul Kagame, and the 1994 genocide. The genocide ended in July 1994 when the Rwandan Patriotic Front took state house and installed themselves as the sole authority in Rwanda. And they have essentially been the sole authority in Rwanda since then. And Kagame himself uh, took power. He acceded to power in March 2000, regularizing his role as the leader of Rwanda. So he's been president by ascension, in essence, since March 2000. The RPF, a party made up of Tutsis, has been the ruling power in Rwanda for more than 20 years, with Paul Kagame at the helm. And while they have maintained relative peace, they do so by strictly controlling Rwandan politics and free speech. On paper, it's a constitutional republic, so there are um, multiple parties. The dominant party is the Rwandan Patriotic Front, the party of Paul Kagame. They endorse President Kagame as their presidential candidates. So they're not standing candidates. 
and the few parties that have tried, their leaders have been harassed, jailed, um, executed. So the Green Party in 2010 had its executive secretary decapitated in what the RPF declared uh, a robbery, but the robbery was never investigated. So it is on paper a democracy, but it, it runs as a dictatorship. A key way in which the RPF and Kagame maintain their power is through the careful construction of a particular narrative about the 1994 genocide. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the RPF are the heroes. Hutu, because of their ethnic hatred, which was sharpened during Belgian colonization, um, rose up and killed their Tutsi neighbors because, you know, they hate them. So that's the official narrative. In 2012, the UN released a report titled On War Crimes and Other Atrocities in the Congo. The report confirmed what many Rwandans had known for decades. What that report did was documented between 1993 and 2003 instances of ethnically motivated violence. Um, the RPF was implicated. It does appear that they had a military policy to eliminate Hutu civilians, men, women, and children, um, men in particular. And what the UN wanted was for further investigations to ensue. The RPF, with its American and British backers, was able to suppress that action. But uh, Rwandans themselves, they're like, yeah, I, you know, the RPF killed my brother. Yeah, the RPF killed my sister. Yeah, the RPF disappeared my nephew. The RPF maintains the support of the U.S. and the U.K., because of its relative economic stability. It is the most secure nation in the Great Lakes region of East Africa, and thus too strategic of an ally to be challenged by the Western world. So, the crimes of the RPF against Hutus remain unaccounted for and undiscussed. That is, until March 2014. Just weeks before the 20th commemoration of the genocide, Kazito Mihigo released a song on YouTube called Igiso Banuro Siurupfu, or the meaning of death. The song was calling people that many people died. We should not remember some and forget others. The song's lyrics read, Though the genocide orphaned me, let it not make me lose empathy for others. Their lives, too, were brutally taken but not qualified as genocide. Those brothers and sisters, they too are human beings. I pray for them. I comfort them. I remember them. Death is never good, be it by the genocide or war or slaughtered and revenge killings. He wanted to explain that not only Tunisi dies, other people died and they are suffering, their family are suffering. We should also remember them, we should also give them support, give them counseling, understand their, understand their pain, and how that's what, how we will create a good community, that's how we create harmony, and that's how we build a true, overlasting reconciliation. The song got more than 30,000 views within two days of its posting. Oh, everybody liked the song. Some of them were translated. It, they started to put words in English so people who understand English can know what he's singing. The video was portraying a message which Rwandan have been dreaming to receive. Something which they uh, 
really wanted. And so somebody finally, you know, had the courage to say it. But the video was abruptly taken down and the song banned from public broadcast. Soon after, all of Mihigo's songs were banned from the radio. And soon after that, Mihigo himself disappeared, only to emerge again in handcuffs, confessing to conspiracy charges. Rwandans, however, were quick to connect the dots. I think the vast majority of people in Rwanda believe that he was tortured and forced to confess. That's Timothy Longman, director of the African Studies Center at Boston University. The people in Rwanda are not stupid. Um, they can't say that openly. They can't disagree with the regime. They can't accuse it. But, you know, in the privacy of their homes, people would tell you that they think he was innocent. Yeah, so it's a long um, hymn, actually, about the reconciliation that Rwandan um, need, in his opinion. So he would like to see healing across ethnic lines and a commemoration of all lives lost. And that was, you know, absolutely the wrong thing to say in the months running up to the commemoration. Because the commemoration, of course, is a very simple story. Tutsi died, Hutu killed, RPF saved, and are ultimately the heroes. Preparations for the 20th commemoration began in 2012. It was enormously important for the RPF to present a united front for the foreign governments expected at the event. The RPF, still shaken from the 2012 UN report, was particularly paranoid about dissent rising among the Rwandan population. Mihigo's song couldn't have been released at a more inconvenient time for the RPF and Paul Kagame. Their moral legitimacy as well as their political legitimacy really hinge on this idea that they are like the heroes of the post-1994 narrative because they crafted it and they've dedicated themselves to it. So it, it's really a statement of even the most gentle ideas that, you know, who two lives matter is met with the full weight of the state. This is a highly authoritarian government. It does not tolerate criticism. Um, and it has a particular narrative about the Rwandan past and about Rwandan society that people have to buy into. And if they don't, then they bear the consequences. And that's what's happened to Kazito. He challenged that narrative, so they cut him down. Overnight, Mihigo went from a valuable asset of the government, a celebrity symbol of unification and peace, to a toxic liability considered too dangerous to the RPF to continue living freely. All because of a single song. Mujigo is such an interesting case because he's a Tutsi survivor. He's not a Hutu survivor. So he, in some ways, is their biggest nightmare because he's not a Tutsi who's dedicated to the cause of like Tutsi and power. He's like, let's share power. The other things they say, he wants to kill the president. He doesn't even know how to use a gun. He knows how to use the guitar and the piano. Can you kill the president with the piano? Come on. Mihigo was arrested, officially, because of messages he exchanged with a man who was tied to the Rwanda National Congress, a rebel group based in Uganda. But these messages were found on his phone several days after his kidnapping by the Rwanda secret police. I think they found all those messages by chance because they were interviewing him about the songs, but they took advantage of those messages to charge him with a crime. Many people took to Twitter and other social media to express their confusion at the alleged WhatsApp messages. When Mihigo's trial went to court, the prosecution's case rested on these messages. A couple lines and a text conversation became a vast conspiracy against the Rwandan government. There was no mention of the song. Instead, Rwandan authorities claimed Mihigo was in cahoots with the Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Rwanda, 
the FDLR in Uganda, even though the man Mahigo texted was in South Africa and only had distant ties to a different political group, the RNC. So the events was very simple. They wrapped these charges, which he accepted. If we come back to the court, he will accept everything. It's a normal trend in Rwanda. It's very normal. The case became a public spectacle. News outlets in Rwanda are heavily monitored and censored by the government. So his charges went uncriticized and unchallenged. The government wanted to make sure that his, his popularity gets down, so they make sure that it's very well publicized and that it's somebody who government have done everything for him. Now he's working with the enemy, so they make sure that he is well promoted. The trial dragged out over a period of six months. Finally, in February 2015, Mihigo was sentenced to 10 years in prison for conspiracy against the government of Paul Kagame. Paul Kagame ran for re-election in August 2017. The Constitution of Rwanda had to be amended in order to allow him to run for a third term. The amendment passed with full support. Kagame secured a landslide victory, winning 99% of the votes cast. 2017 marks his 17th year in office. The constitutional amendment would theoretically allow Kagame to stay in power until 2034. <laughs> You know, the reality is that, that people pass around cassettes and pass around CDs, and so people will still listen to his music, even if it's not played on the radio. Kizito Mingo came to oppose the regime which was preaching uh, revenge and him who was preaching the opposite. Forgiveness, forgive. Those people, even though they killed, they deserve peace. They deserve forgiveness. They deserve life. Kizito is currently alive and being held in Kigali Central Prison, serving his 10-year sentence. According to a source close to him, he works in the prison kitchen it's unlikely he will ever sing publicly again. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Charlotte Sinha. Zani